the story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes, when every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were, only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does, and it won't stop, not until you come home, back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming of age story, Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys, and A Place for Sinners, out now. Tour Nightfire, publisher of Dark Stars, New Tales of Darkest Star, a novelette collection edited by John F.D. Taff. Dark Stars features 12 brand new stories showcasing today's top horror talent, from award winners and new voices like Stephen Graham Jones, Priya Sharma, Usman T. Malik, Caroline Kepnes, and Alma Katsu. Dark Stars is an homage to the classic horror anthology Dark Forces, edited by Kirby McCauley. All you have to do is sign up for Nightfire's monthly newsletter and follow them on social media. At Tor Nightfire on social and tornightfire.com. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brian LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we're joined by first-time guest host, co-founder of the wildly popular Nightworms, Sadie Hartman. Say hi, Sadie. Yay! Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And we're talking to musician and author amongst many things, Casey Lansdale. Say hi, Casey. Hi, guys. As well as author of the Happen Lettered series, amongst too much to name, Joe Lansdale. Say hey, Joe. <laughs> Yay. Woo. <laughs> hey, Joe. <laughs> I, you know what? It's all I could do not to do it. And I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Lock it in. Say goodnight. Temptation crazy. is over. Good night. Crazy. I always say, <laughs> say hi to people. So I, I, I did hey, Joe, for a reason. 
Jimi Hendrix, man. Um, so normally we ask people when they come on, what got you into horror? But this is kind of like a, a little bit different scenario. Um, Brendan was the one that suggested we have Sadie on. And there's a really specific reason. Well, there's a lot of reasons, but there's one specific reason that Brennan, take it away. And then Sadie, please, by all means, take it away. And anyone jump in, whatever. Well, I mean, we we set this episode up initially because we had uh, Born for Trouble coming out in March. You know, fantastic Yay. group of five stories. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, and there's the author. Very excited for that release. Um <laughs> And, you know, so we wanted to talk to Casey and Joe about this one. And uh, I'm going to throw it to Sadie in a minute because she's been leading a Happ and Leonard read along for those uninitiated who are new to the series. Uh, So, Sadie, tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Well, so I decided that I wanted to read the Happen Leonard series for the first time. I haven't seen the show. I hadn't read the series, but I had read a lot of Joe's books and have become an impossibly crazed fan for Joe's work. Um, you know, I've read the bottom You're the one. <laughs> <laughs> I read the bottoms, I read the thicket, I've read um uh freezer burn like you name it i've been going through it and i i finally decided that i was gonna jump into the series which is like no small feat because i think there's like a dozen books plus some short stories plus the new one that's coming out um but i was able to talk to casey about helping me organize the read along because we did have some like diehard fans who wanted to read it again for like the second time or third time. And then uh, people like me who haven't read it before. So I was able to hook up with Casey and we mapped out like this whole timeline, which I haven't adhered to at all because I keep stopping and reading other parts of Joe's work. Um, I can't, it's hard to just go through the Happen Leonard when I have like Leather Maiden sitting on my nightstand. I had the thicket I wanted to read. I have um, uh, Jane Goes North I want to read. I have a signed copy. So he just has like too much work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all good. So I, I want to talk about how you set up kind of the timeline because it's got to be, I mean, you read a lot. Obviously, anybody who has heard of you before, that's not going to surprise them. You read a lot. So, you know, uh, the people who are following along and reading it for the first time, they might not be able to keep up with you. So how do you how do you go about establishing, you know, what the uh, normies would uh, would do? I love my group chat. So I hope this isn't offensive to them at all, but they are slower. Um, and I thought we could get through like a book a month, maybe even two. And I was getting through two a month. Um, but I've had to slow that way down, um, for people so that they could kind of like go at their own pace. Um, and if you aren't familiar with the Happen Leonard series, it is extremely fast paced. Like there's action on every page and there's humor and dialogue. It's extremely character driven. So those pages just fly for me. Um, but yeah, it, the group chat wants me to slow down. So we've healed <laughs> it back a little bit. <laughs> well, and I, I think um, we'd originally talked because Born for Trouble comes out this month. Right. So we were trying to kind of line it up with the, the time of that, really, with the understanding of, you know, that it was going to be later, but that was 
that was sort of like a loose goal of can yeah. we make it somewhere in that vicinity with the the release. So that's kind of funny because <laughs> we didn't factor that in. <laughs> yeah, that's it's okay though because I mean it's sort of like an, an epic kind of it's an amazing undertaking. And you you notice that I stay real quiet in those group chats. <laughs> yes. It's really neat that your entire family in one branch or another has something to do with, of course, your father, but also the writing industry amongst other uh, entertainment industries. So um, I'm going to pull us back to when you were growing up, because Joe says in the beginning of the four, basically that happened, Leonard, were the uh, annoying brother or in your case, annoying uncles. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious from your point of view, what has it been like um, growing up with them? It's interesting. Um, yeah, they they are like uncles. They, they've always been there. I had an image in my mind of who they were for a long time until the television show. <laughs> I never I never had them in my mind as either uh, James or Michael Kay. And in fact, I, James, when he was cast, even other than being British, I thought physically, I thought, okay, I can kind of see that there's an element there, but Michael K didn't look at all how I had pictured Leonard. And, and now that I've seen him embody that character, I can't not see it. So I, the reason I tell you that is because I didn't read the books until I was much older. So I just sort of had these two ethereal uncles that kind of floated in and out that were, you know, made reference to that were a part of my life. Then I saw the television show. I had read the books, some of them, not all of them. I'd say the first four, I guess, before the television show came out. Actually, during pandemic, I finally read the entire series because I, for the first time, had time. Uh, so I'm now caught up on it. But it's always just kind of been this presence there. And they're still there. But I will say that um, it now is embodied a lot by James and Michael. and the unfortunate uh, passing of Michael, that that did feel like a death in the family, even though um, yeah. the character lives on, you know, and Michael obviously is is his own human being and he his family is going through whatever they're going through. So not to lessen their experience, but it did feel like the loss of an uncle when um, that happened. So it's it's sort of an an indescribable thing. It's, it's somebody that you have known your whole life and you've met a handful of times, but you still feel this extreme closeness. And, uh, and it, the good thing that we have is they are fictional characters, so we can always reference them. But when I read them, I definitely, I hear, uh, not only my father, but things that he'll reference and I'll go, Oh, I know what the real, uh, backstory is behind that. Or, Oh, I wonder if this is this. And, and it just, I think the uh, the heartbreaking moments can hit me harder because of that. And I think the the funny moments can hit me harder because of that. So it's sort of a, a very intense experience of reading his work that is hard to describe um, unless you're going through it. Yeah. Um, wow. I, too much? I wanna, I, no, 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 no. Not too much. Do you know who your dad is? Come on. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, the passing of Michael, um, I don't have a specific question to ask about that. So if there is anything that you guys want to say about him, for those that may not know uh, much about him, 
by all means, please. Well, I knew Michael a little bit from the show and being on the set, you know, especially the first season a lot and a little bit after that on the third season. Um, Mike was a really nice, amazing guy and a, and a fascinating actor. He had his own way of going about things. And he and James are, are actually were best friends, you know, just like Happen Leonard. And they were like uh, the the proverbial old married couple who were like squabbly all the time. And, you know, and, you know, like, well, you put your glass here or you do that. And James was neater than, and I think it's probably the other way around in the books, but James was uh, kind of neat and, and Mike wasn't. And uh, Michael, and he did tell me about his um, struggles with, with drug problems and stuff and that he had had them. And I hope that he had, you know, gotten them beat and uh was had that under control but obviously you know he did not i i do think sometimes people do a disservice by saying well you know it was laced with fentanyl which it wasn't you know that's terrible but it's not like he was selling them you know you know chewing gum he was selling him something that was already dangerous and then that just made it fatal uh and with and the other itself could have been fatal so it's just a terrible terrible addiction you know and uh I, I know that Michael did everything he could to shake it. Um, and he, you know, he talked to me about it and he talked to me about his struggles with it and uh, about um, his dogs. And uh, he had two, I think they were like miniature Dobermans, if I remember right. And uh, he said that they were like the, the biggest cowards that you could imagine, you know, <laughs> they weren't like ferocious at all. Like my, our pit bull was, he just, you know, he'd help you carry the, stereo or something out to the car, you know, if we actually had a stereo anymore, but that sort of thing, you know, and I, it, it was just very human stuff. And that's what I remember about Michael. And I, I remember him coming on the scene and having to do a takes. He had to do multiple takes before he caught it. That's how his process was where James was, you know, he was ready after a couple, three takes. He was, he had it. And so you can imagine the frustration of, of having to do the scenes over to fit the other guy's methodology, but it was magic once they put it together. And then you had Christina Hendricks, who was always on the money and she came in, she was ready. You know, as James said, they had to kick their game up when she showed up <laughs> and, uh, that's true. They did because she was phenomenal. And, uh, I, I was so impressed with all of them in their own way of going about creating those characters. But uh, Christina, in some ways, I think impressed me the most just because she was so dedicated and she learned the accent so well that when I first met her, I was with my niece and we're both from East Texas. And we thought, we thought she was a Southerner and she said, I'm just in character. Now she was born in Tennessee, but she didn't live there that long but I, I I can't say too much good about her skills as as an actress and her dedication. But it, it you know it was wonderful being on set with all those people. Uh, uh, Bill Sage, who's a, a good friend. Uh, uh, you know Neil Sandilands and Jeff Pope, and you know the everybody involved was just fantastic. The director Jim Mickle and and Nick Demichi is a very close friend. He he wrote an, a large number of them and uh, appeared in the last season as the devil. Uh, which fits, you know, and, uh, but I remember in the first season, uh, he rescued a little dog that people had mistreated and it was covered in fleas and he just took it away from them. And, uh, he, you know, had it cleaned and, and taken care of and had his shots and he still got, got that dog buddy, 
is a, and a, I don't know what it is, a little mixed dog, but you know, you, you get to know these people and you know, things about their character and about them that, that that's outside of the, the TV show, you know? And I think people forget <clears throat> that sometimes when they see shows, especially when they embody the characters so phenomenally well, that they're their individuals, that these are people that have their own lives, you know, and uh, like James would, he brought his wife on and his daughter. Um, so, you know, that, that was all very, very human. And then when they'd walk on the set, they were happen Leonard. And it was, a, it was interesting to see, you know, I see happen Leonard different and I always will because I created them. But there's an alternate universe in which James and Michael are happening. Right. That's exactly right. It, it's a, it is an alternate universe. It's like in one instance, there's Happen Leonard, which is like both sides of you. In another universe, there's the, yeah. the James Michael version. And in another universe, there's the version that I created as a kid in my mind. <laughs> and, and then yeah. they all sort of merge and, and, and change yeah. as, you know, the characters change. Yeah. A funny, uh, a funny thing is that uh, uh, my son, Keith, was on the set some, too, and uh, James was trying to get my accent down. I remember I, I, I said, man, you're, you're going to put your eye out. You're just going to have to find something in the middle, which is, which is what he did. But when my son was on the set, he said, Dad, I just had the strangest thing happen. I said, what? He said, I just saw James for the first time as Hap, and he come walking around the side of the house. He walks just like you, and he actually looks like you when you were younger. And we do, and weirdly, if you look at old pictures, you can kind of see it. You know, you wouldn't think, I'm sort of like his ugly cousin, really. (laughs) But it was kind of interesting because he embodied uh, so much of of me and of the the fictional character that it was a little bit creepy sometimes. And uh, in the best way, I remember he and I were sitting together on a bench, and Lowell Northrup went by, and he went, oh, I can see it. The younger, the older Hap. <laughs> yeah, and Lowell was invited but to anyway, go on uh, <laughs> Yeah, Lowell, uh, let's go out back, man. <laughs> Casey, I have one question, then I want to ask city question. Um, so for you, Casey, you and Keith, when you were growing up, your dad's a writer, your mom's involved with uh, that creative world, too. And I'm wondering, from a kid's point of view, um, just going back to when we had Richard Chismar on, we were talking about how same thing with him, his kids are growing up with a father who is a, a, he's a writer and he's public, he's dealing with writers all the time. So I didn't deal with that. My dad was, my family was like, you know, uh, middle-class workers. Um, they still encourage the creativity, but they weren't engulfed in it. Like you guys. So I'm wondering if you think that that, perhaps gave you uh, a much more um, opportune moment to find yourself because you find yourself over and over again as you grow. So I'm wondering if that really helped you blossom into who you became. Um, Okay. Short answer. Yes. But I don't know that, you know, it's interesting because I I get all the time, what was it like growing up? And it was, (laughs) you know, I was my mom and my dad, like it wasn't anything that, like the, we weren't, you know, burning uh, goats out in the backyard or something. You know, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking we're doing, but it was normal. It was normal stuff. You know, I had a brother. I had one sacrifice parents. a year, just one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, it's, it's interesting because I didn't actually realize that I had a, uh, a different kind of life until I got older. 
You know, I, I knew that um, most of my friends' parents went to work away from the home, and I knew that my parents worked from home, but I never really understood what all of that entailed. I never really understood what those um, opportunities were that stemmed from that until I got older. So the growing up process, it just was, you know, I didn't question it. I, I, it existed as it was. Now, as I look back, I definitely see that having the encouragement and the freedom to choose things that were creative uh, were definitely because of that environment. And I mean, I remember when I was in, uh, gosh, I, cause I, whatever year it was when I was in high school, I was in college. So when I went to college, I was older than college, but I think it was my junior year. So I was almost done. And then I was supposed to go on tour and uh, I basically called my parents and I was like, well, I can't be on tour and be in college at the same time. And my major was social work at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is, there's an element there that is still who I am, but that is not what I wanted to do. And uh, my parents were like, all right, well, then I guess you better hit the road, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think it ever occurred to me that that was a, a non-standard answer. I was just like, all right, I let them know. And here I go. So, um, you know, and then I've toured all over the world and I've, I've had a very interesting life because of that, uh, those opportunities, but, uh, these weren't things that I put a lot of thought into of like, should I do this? Should I not? It was just like, I want to do this thing that feels right. Everybody seems okay with it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. So, um, I didn't question, you know, you don't quite, especially when you're younger, you, you're like, everything's fine. Let's do it. So, um, now that, you know, you get older and then you start second guessing and you start going like, well, maybe these things. So, um, I'm glad it all happened that way because I didn't have enough sense to question it. I was just like, all right, that's what you do. You know, you, you want to do this thing, you go do this thing. That's what they, that's what they do. And it worked out. So I guess I'll do it. You know, <laughs> that's really cool. The social work. My wife yeah. Said, we ruined your life right then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is your wife a social worker? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, she got her master's, oh. and then she had to wait for the first half of the, whenever the pandemic started with 2020, she had to wait to get her certificate, so that was, that was a fun. Oh, so, my God. Well, you uh, know what? Bless her, because all it took was learning more about what I can, I realized I can help people in ways that are not going to be as um, emotionally gutting for me, and I'm a very, very sensitive person, and those um, those moments were very important for me to sort of understand that I'm going to have to find another way to help. Mm-hmm. I, I am not a boots on the ground in that scenario. So my, my absolute, um, hats off respect to her. Cause I, I know that's not an easy thing to do. I don't know how she does it. I, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I couldn't do it. Uh, Sadie, your mom, uh, is a big reader too. So kind of the same question for you, because I actually I, I listened to an older episode a while ago on This Is Horror With You, and you talked about that. So I'm wondering, um, with your mom being such a big reader, obviously that had an impact on you with what you do for a living. But what do you think that did for, like, was she always a reader? What did that do to you ultimately as a person um, and how it kind of trickles down to you being a mom. Yeah. Um, so my mom had me when she was 18, um, and she dropped out of school to raise me. Um, she wasn't with my bio dad for very long. Um, so she was a single mom, uh, raising this big old baby. Cause I've seen 
baby pictures of myself and I'm like more than half of her body. Um, and I'm six feet tall and she's like five, five. So. <laughs> um, she always had books, uh, all around. Um, and I was allowed to read whatever I wanted. Um, I still kind of snuck things that I thought were too grown up or adult for me, um, and didn't tell her that I was reading them, but she soon caught on that I was reading her Stephen King. Um, and my parents are very like youthful and kind of young at heart. Um, so they, I would listen to cool music and they would pick up what I was listening to and I would listen to what they were listening to. And then with books, like now it's so funny. It's almost like a competition. Like my dad will call me and be like, I picked up a signed edition of freezer burn. I found it on eBay. It was only like $35. And he showed me a picture and I was like, dad, wow, check this out. And I showed him a picture of mine and they're the same. And he's like, that's the picture I just showed you. I'm like, no, dad, that's mine. He's like, no, that's mine. That's my signed copy. I'm like, no, this is my copy. We have the same copy. Like it wasn't the flex he thought it was going to be. And he was so put out by it. <laughs> Plus this is, I don't know if you're going to brag about this. Stephen King follows you. I know he does with you too, Joe, but you're obvious. That's an obvious reason. Like Sadie, I'm so, uh, I'm so, I want to say jealous. I'm careless. I am jealous. Cause that is so cool. <laughs> So that is the biggest flex in the world for someone like us. So again, I was with my parents when this happened. Okay. So pandemic had happened. Um, we were finally able to like go see people in 2021. It was still very nerve wracking. We drove there instead of flew. I wanted to hang out with my mom and dad. Like it was the first time I'd seen them in like over a year, year and a half, whatever. Um, we get to their house and we're just chilling and hanging out. Dan and I slept in the guest room in the morning. Dan went to go see his parents and I got in bed with my mom so that my dad could make us breakfast in bed. And so we're just chilling in there, hanging out. I, I like had taken a picture of my mom's bookcases of her Stephen King collection because hers rivals my own. And I was like, Ooh, look at my mom's OG Stephen King collection. And I tagged Stephen King about 10 minutes later after we're like just talking and whatever I pull up my phone and it said that Stephen King followed me and I like like pause for a second I'm like that's a fake account I clicked on it it was his fucking account I was like mom and I just like burst into tears and she's like who died I was like mom Stephen King is following me and we both started crying it was so dorky but like also really cool that's awesome mom I made it uh, I still to this day like the other day I got a haircut and I posted it on Twitter and he retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wild. Totally you wild. Know, uh, one thing about, about Stephen King too, is when our dog died, we were pretty upset about it and Aww. he sent a, a condolences. And I, I thought that was sweet of him, you know, and his Aww. boys are just great, great guys. I started to say kids they are not kids, but they seem like kids to me because they're in the general age group as, as our two. I think Aww. they're just a little bit older. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it was, uh, that was very sweet of him. You know, I, I, absolutely. I think he's a good guy. I don't, I don't know him, you know, extremely well. I, I actually know his kids a little better, you know, but, uh, his two boys anyway. So, but yeah, good guy. 
I mean, he doesn't have to have a Twitter and he constantly promotes people. New voices. It's. That's really I think neat. my favorite thing is that picture that Shady, I, I saw it that you reshared it and it's him with his Ukraine and he's in front of the books and he's just <laughs> like, <"Mah." laughs> like, okay, if that's not doing it, then I don't know what will because like he's he's bringing all of the, you know, the enthusiasm for everything. It just, I don't know. He, he's great. And I think he uses his platform for such good things. It's nice to see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Also just like props to Joe too. Like, I think it's really cool that you encourage um, people on social media and like, you'll see, uh, I'll just, cause I have you on notification. So anytime you talk to anybody, I see it. It's kind of stalkery, but there it is. Um, but I'll see you like encouraging people. They'll be struggling with writing or having writer's block or saying like, Oh, I feel like I can't please anyone, you know, like, I don't know if anyone will like my story and you're always just like, write what you want to write, you know, like you have these like little yeah. nuggets of wisdom, which I think it's so cool that you and Stephen King and others like use your platforms to encourage other writers. It's really cool. Well, thank you. You know, it's because I remember how hard it was for me to get going. And, you know, even now you have, you have moments when I, uh, Casey and I were discussing that today. I mean, I'm going like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm interested in so many damn things. That's my problem. You know, I never had like, I'm just going to be a horror writer. I'm just going to be a crime writer. I'm just going to be a Western writer. I'm just going to be a, you know, a, a historical, whatever it is, science fiction writer. So I've always done everything, which has been both good. It's both my blessing and my curse. Because if you're known for one thing, you're more likely to even become more well-known. And, uh, but you know, I, at some point, you know, I, I just don't think I need that. I just don't need more than that. And, uh, you know, if you know, you can't please everybody, you, you don't, you, you don't feel this weight of people looking over your shoulder, you're creating for yourself. And, you know, and no matter how certain you are, how much you, you strength you have about things like that, of course you have doubts that come into your mind, but I've always been able to say, you know what, I'm me. And uh, I'm not very good at being anybody else, but I can be me. And so I'm going to be me. Well, even no matter what genre you're writing, your fingerprints are all over it anyway. So like what I listened to that short story, The Pit, which is like super, like just, you know, it's just so brutal and just, you know, but even in that middle of all of that brutality, there's heart and there's characterization um, you know, it's vastly different than like the thicket or the bottoms, like whether you're writing children right. or whether you're writing adults, like your, your, um, flavor is still there. Your fingerprints are still in it, no matter what it is. Uh, you know, what? we, we can absolutely come back. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, you know, one time I had talked about, it might be fun to, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, no, there is a lag. So um, I didn't think anyone was talking, but please continue. Uh, um, oh, I just I was just going to say one time my uh, agent and I were talking and I thought it'd be fun. And, you know, I've considered doing like a pen name novel. And it's like everybody says, well, yeah, like in one page, they know who it is. So what's the point? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> that would be true. The Bachman curse. Yeah. Um, you know what, Sadie, I thought you brought up such a good point that, you know, Joe uses social media, uh, to, you know, among other reasons to encourage newer writers, 
you know, I, I know you jumped in on a conversation pretty recently about, um, I'm paraphrasing, but reviews being for readers and, you know, being legitimate in their honesty. So, uh, Joe, I'm curious because you, like a lot of newer writers, you don't need to be on Twitter to sell books. So what's your approach to social media? Well, yeah, you do need to be on Twitter to sell books. <laughs> you know, you need to be on everything to keep selling books. I mean, I'm going to sell a certain amount, that's for sure. But but the thing is, is that you want to be available to people. And when you are a writer that does a lot, then you want people to be aware of where you are. Because uh, one of the things early in my career is people, you know, they didn't know about everything because it wasn't on the Internet. There was none of that. There was no Twitter. There was no uh, Facebook. And so I think it's a marvelous tool for promoting your work. But I, I also think that it has a side benefit of, uh, well, you know, Sadie's mentioned that is being able to communicate with people. And I, I, I've always had this feeling that I, you know, I have uh, empathy for other people going through those things because I went through them and uh, I understand how disappointing it is and how hard it is. And, you know, I'm a blue collar guy, even though I've, I've been writing now for the largest part of my life, I came from a blue collar background and I, you know, I, I plowed with mules, literally, and I worked in, I mean, Rosefield, I started to say cotton fields. I actually picked cotton once. And uh, I did a variety of different, you know, kinds of field work, aluminum chair factory, all that stuff. So I, you know, I have respect for all of that. But when I was growing up, that's not what I wanted. You know, I don't really think there are many people that say, you know what I want to do? I want to work in an aluminum chair factory when I grow up. I don't really believe that's true. And even though I have respect for anybody doing honest work, I wanted something else. And, you know, my father couldn't read or write. He was illiterate. And my my mother uh, had an 11th grade education. She was a great reader. I mean, until just recently, I read three or four books every week. Yeah, and, uh, of course, I have a little more time because I'm a full-time writer. But I also have, you know, martial arts. I have other things going on in, in my life. So it's a, a dedication. I I was lucky in that I could read quickly and retain. So when I was a kid to get away from this uh, and, and as a young man to get away from this kind of tedious lifestyle, uh, I spent a lot of time reading and a lot of time writing, but I also spent a lot of time living. And I think the problem I have sometimes with newer writers is all the books have the stink of the library on them. You want to have something about yourself and something about life's experiences to go with that from what you've learned on how to handle style and how to handle uh, characterization, et cetera, et cetera, but, and, and how to tell a good story. But if you can put something of your own life, or if you paid attention to other people's lives, it doesn't feel like it's just all books being books. It's sort of like some movies that are all, you know, they reference other movies constantly. There, uh, there's some well-known movie makers who do that a lot, and I, I'm not nearly as excited about a lot of their work as I am others where I feel like I've got this rare and unusual and personal voice. So all of that comes out of, you know, that kind of background. And and but yet it, what it really gives me is that connection, I think, to people who who might be struggling or might be at a, at a point where they're discouraged or, you know, I, I, I only get discouraged like for a few minutes. I was always like mad. If I couldn't sell something, I was mad. And so I just worked harder. And uh, I used to work a lot more hours, but really for 25 years or so, maybe 30, I do about three hours a day. And that works for me, but it's a dedicated three hours. 
by the time most people get up, I'm finished. And uh, I find that. That is true. I get texted at four in the morning. (laughs) I'm like, what is he doing? What time do you start at? Well, I don't have a set time, but it's, it's anywhere from four to six. I get up and uh, I go to work and whatever that is, it's usually about three hours today. I did two and a half on a screenplay I'm working on. Uh, but I thought I was marvelous today. So I gave myself a half hour off. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and when you're doing it, you, you can just, I, I'm, you, you've had these days when you think, man, nobody's this good. And then you read it the next day and you go, Oh, that's not so good. And, and you have to have that push and pull where you're convinced you're doing something really well. And then when you're aware of the fact you're not doing it nearly as well as you thought you were, or as well as you would like to do. So there's this constant push and pull, just like in martial arts, like jujitsu, you know, if, if they push, you pull, if they pull, you push. And it, it's kind of that way in, in writing, you have to have, you have to be excited about what you do and you have to be wondering what you think about it, not what other people do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyone want to chime in? I get up at four in the morning too. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I go to bed really early, but I do go, I do wake up early. I do my best work in the morning. I'm too tired yeah. at night to do anything. <laughs> I, I get that. And yeah. I, tr- I get up an hour. I can only do an hour. Maybe when my son doesn't wake me up two or three hours before work, I can try working that out. But uh, Joe, I was curious, man, beta readers. I've never heard you talk about this. So I'm wondering, have you ever had beta readers? Do you still, if you had, do you still use them? Um, what are your, what are your comments on that? No, I don't use them. I don't, cause I don't care what they think. When, when I was, well, I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't, that doesn't awesome. mean I don't, you know, I just don't, I haven't got time for that crap. The, the, when I was younger, I had friends that I gave things to read, but that's just because I wanted to share them with somebody because they weren't out there to be read. <laughs> they were in manuscript form. And uh, I had some people who were, you know, would read them and, and offer some suggestions that were helpful, but I, I really don't like that. I, because I feel like you can be so easily influenced something that you're, and, and here's the thing about writing is if you, when you're writing, there's always something in your writing that you're questioning. And it may be that a person or a reviewer will pick up on that and that can be good, but it can also make you so focused on that flaw that you may not realize that for most people, it may, it may go unnoticed. That doesn't mean you want to not, not do it better, but it means that the next person reads it and they like that exact thing that the other person hates. So you can, you know, it's like reviews. I, I people get worked up about reviews, but I don't because I feel like in, in, you know, unless somebody comes out and says you're a bad person and, you know, uh, uh, quit screwing ducks or something like that. And <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not bothered by it. If I got nothing but bad reviews, I would, but I always look at it. If it's an honest review, it's an honest opinion. And if you believe the good ones, you got to believe the bad ones. So Absolutely. I always look at the good ones as tools and those I, I promote, not because I necessarily always think they're correct, but because I know they're tools and a bad review is not a good tool, you know, it's a blunt instrument, but it, it, you know, as far as like thinking, oh, this guy's bad or my, my little heart's broke or, you know, I can't write, I'm not like that at all. You know, I, um, 
I think my daughter gets madder than anybody when I get a, a review. She I, like. I got to tell you, I'm ready to fist fight anybody that I don't like what they said about. Like, even if it's something gentle, I'm like, all right, I guess we got to go. Uh, yeah. Is that an East Texas thing? I know. Yeah. I'm like, I'm ready to scrap. Yeah, and like, calm down. Well, calm down. This is a great time to bring up fender lizards. I really like that. I have no bad words to say, bud, because I'm terrified of Casey now. But seriously, it was awesome because. One, she narrated it. Two, it's a good story. And um, I could have believed you, Casey, that that was that voice matched the character. So I'd love to know how you guys came about that. The you narrating that book. Okay, so what I will say is, is Dot is me if I were raised of different circumstance. (laughs) And and so I I definitely I think that reading for that book was perfect because I felt very connected to her. I felt very much like with a sliding doors moment, I could have very much been dot. And, and so, and there, there were so many things that were stories of dad's childhood in some ways, my childhood, also some things about um, what my grandfather had told my father and, and those things had trickled in and, I mean, the, the scene, as, as we're talking about violence, the scene where she takes the, the two by four or whatever it is, and then just knocks that guy that's been beaten on her sister. I know that as my grandfather telling my father, well, get you a two by four. And like, because apparently somebody was picking on dad as a kid. And, you know, this is a man who was born in 1909. So he was like, this is the, this is the perspective. Yeah. So yeah. I hear those stories. And so there it's ingrained in my soul of things that are of my family of different times or stories that we've heard um, or other parts of our family that are um, a little more suspect, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and That's I don't even remember how, how I got the actual job of it. I don't know if that was a dad recommendation or if it was one. No, it was just fortunate. Yeah. I've done a couple and and I know that one or two of them dads actually recommended, but the others, I think people just have reached out because before pandemic, I also did a lot of singing and uh, voice work as an actor. And you you might hear my dog back there squeaking his toy. Forgive me. Um, So people knew that I worked in a, in a vocal space and so I think that when this came about, it, it might have been that Stefan, oh, you know what? I know what it was. Not that you care, but now we're there. So I went to <laughs> World Horror at one point and I met Stefan who worked with that company, uh, Skyboat or Steamboat, and forgive me for not remembering, but um, we had talked and we were talking about other titles. So when they actually ended up with Fender Lizards to record, uh, he and I had already exchanged emails about another project. And so he said, well, do you want to come in and read for this? And uh, it was great. And then the funny thing was, is the girl who was running the soundboard, uh, who Cassie, Cassandra, who was excellent, turned out she was the daughter of the guy who owned the company. So it, it was just a really nice um, camaraderie. It was a really nice confluence of things. And I think she and I had a really good working relationship. And so, you know, because you can sit there and read. But it's really helpful to have that person who's listening, who's who's sort of making sure that you're following that rhythm. So she was great. And I felt like the rhythm came naturally. And as I was sort of learning 
you know, I'm not a voice actor. That's a very different skill set. That is not my skill set. I can't do, sorry for the squeaks. I can't do uh, accents. I can't do voices in that way. Thanks, Leo. It's really helpful. I'm not, um, cut, I'm not cutting that up. By so, the way. Leo, on the other hand, <laughs> extremely talented. And uh, yeah. so, you know, I, I just sort of decided that I wasn't going to try to come in and do all these voices. I was going to read the story like a storyteller and try to inhabit them a little bit. So um, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, it's just been fun. And I've always enjoyed reading the work. And uh, that's one that is probably more the kind of thing I would gravitate to as a reader initially. And uh, it, it's, it just sort of happened. And I love doing them. I hope that I can do more. Didn't, didn't George Martin give you your first job? Yeah, actually, that, that's what happened with it is when I moved to L.A., um, dad took me out here and we did this epic road trip and we stopped in Santa Fe and we saw George and <laughs> we we just were talking and that was it. And I guess he liked the accent or um, appreciated the accent that was there. I don't know if he liked it. And uh, so when he was doing what was it? I can't remember. Is it Ed Bryant? Yeah. But I don't remember what the um, wild cards, he was doing a collection there mm-hmm. and they needed a Cajun reader. And so they called me and said, can you be Cajun? And I was like, sure, I can be Cajun. <laughs> and so and, you know, at the time, like, I don't know, I had no concept of what this was. I was just like, it's a job. Sure. George asked me to do it. I'll do it. And then I get there and it turns out that there's like Aboriginal accents, Australian accents, Cajun accents, all of these different things that I was not ready for. Oh, and bless the man who walked me. He did them though. I did it. And you know what? I think it turned out fine, but it was my very first time doing yeah. it. And I, 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 you know, I'd like to go in now with a better understanding, but um, yeah, I, I think. You, you did some voice acting. You said you didn't do any voice acting, but you did some for Stan Lee. Yeah, but I did a Texas lady and I did, a, you know, it's like. <laughs> I'm yeah, but not you did two. In. You did two different voices. I did a Texas mother and a Texas That's daughter. True. But these are not skills. Yeah. You know, I'm not coming in with my British accent. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So I can't get past one thing. You're Joe. Are you friends with George R. R. Martin? Because I never knew that. Yeah, I've known George since the late '70s. You know, we're. Uh, in fact, I'm writing a screen. Spleen, uh, I wrote a screenplay for him not long ago. A short that's uh, being done. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio starred in it and directed it. And I think they're about done with all of the special effects. And I'm not exactly sure how George intends to uh, put it out there. I don't know if he's going to do festivals or if it's going to be added to some other adaptations of Howard Waldrop's work, because that's what it is. It's called Night of the Cooters. And it's a, uh, a story that he wrote about Mars invading West Texas back in the early 1900s. And it's a lot of fun, and uh, I think my script's a lot of fun, and I I got to go watch them do it. You know, we had to wear a mask and take tests and every day, and it was worth it. And uh, and it was nice visiting with Vincent, and because he was in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Whole Wide World, which is based on Robert E. Howard's life. And Renee Zellwinger's first, first real movie, I think that was her first real movie. If you ever get a chance to look up the whole wide world, you should. And especially if you have an interest in writers like Robert E. Howard. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess I was attracted to it because he, too, was a Texas writer. Now, he was a central West Texas writer. So his where he came from was very different. People always want to assume I live in the desert and I live in the woods and swamps. And it's more like Louisiana. But. 
uh, Bob Howard lived in West, the ugliest place you could ever imagine. In fact, uh, Cross Plains is so ugly that when they filmed it, they filmed it around Austin because they were just so ugly. You put it on the camera and you go, oh, man, I'm depressed. No wonder he shot himself. <laughs> and uh, so, um, you know, they filmed. But it's one of my favorite films. And Vincent D'Onofrio played um, Robert E. Howard just beautifully. And it was great to talk to him about that because it's based on a uh, a book um, by Noveline Price, who was, I guess, sort of his girlfriend would be the term back then because I, I think that it was like almost girlfriend situation but it's 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 a tragedy and yet it's a it's a joy it's a beautiful film it is uh, extremely well acted the script's terrific and so it was great to get a chance to work with Vincent D'Onofrio and I, I just feel like I was very fortunate and uh, I'm doing a full length screenplay right now so that's that's next I've done a bunch of them used to write for Batman the animated series all that stuff yeah. But so it was fun for me to do this, which is a combination of animation and uh, uh, real actors and the night of the cooters. Batman. Yes, I wrote that too. Yeah. Hey, I, I did, I did Batman on TV. Yeah, I did it on TV for the animated series. Did that. I did a book called Captured by the Engines, E-N-G-I-N-E-S, and which was Batman. And um, I did a movie. Uh, what's it called? Son of Batman, which is a full-length animated film. So I've been in the I've been in the back cave, man. Yeah, man, that's really neat. Yeah, we talked about that last time you were on. Um, there is one thing that I would like to pick your brain on. Then, Brand say to Casey, whoever jump in, please. Um, so with George R. R. Martin, I'm wondering if I mean say pass if you want, but have you had the conversation with him? Because he went from you know rising, his series was going up with the other books before that they were doing pretty well. Then one of his books, uh, the fourth or fifth one, almost ruined his career. And then, obviously, with Game of Thrones, it put him on a level where he is probably well-known throughout the world. Um, I got to imagine the pressure that comes with that is pretty much uncomprehensible. You know, you can't comprehend that. Have Have you had that conversation with him? And the second follow-up question is probably an obvious one. <laughs> what would you do if you were in his shoes with that with that kind of like microscopic focus on you from readers that you it could be anyone it could be the guy down the street or someone in Zimbabwe it doesn't matter the only thing he ever said to me is I can't believe it's been a decade that I've been working on this book <laughs> you know but he he's a marvelous guy I, I I think a lot of George as a human being and uh I've just seen him do so many kind things and uh um, I, I, that's all I will say is that George is my friend and, you know, I, I stand by me. He, he's a sweetheart. I mean, when I went out there for this, uh, he brought me out for this, uh, filming that I was telling you about the short film and he put us up in his guest house and then he would, yeah, uh, you know, they would get, he'd get Mexican food and bring it over to us and, at night after we'd got through, uh, you know, being on set all day. And, and, uh, you know, we just talked about the stuff we always talked about when we first started, we, we joked once that, you know, we were like talking, oh, my God, George was saying they're paying like $300 now for a short story at uh, Amazing Stories. And we were like, oh, wow, we got to do that. I never did sell to Amazing Stories, but uh, it was stuff like that. I remember, you know, going to uh, um, AggieCon and, and those guys be up. There. He may have slept on the couches up there. I remember that he was doing the best he could just to get by like all of us were. 
And we all uh, had different experiences in our lives and careers. Uh, I would say both of us got the careers we wanted. You know, he got a different career and he certainly got a richer career and a <laughs> more broadly known, but I got the career I wanted. And I think he got the one he wanted. And you mentioned uh, his books, my favorite books, the one that uh, where he, he always says, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get another book published for 20 years. Uh, Armageddon rag. I love That's Armageddon it. Yep. rag. Yeah. And, yeah. And the one about the, uh, the vampire the one in New Orleans boat. Uh, yeah. Fever dream. There it is. Yeah. Fever dream. Yeah. Those are my favorite books of his, you know? And, uh, so I think people are missing because he once told me, he said, yeah, everybody wants Game of Thrones. They don't, you know, they don't want those. And I'm always like, wow, not Armageddon, Rag and, 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 you know, Fever Dream. Those are fantastic. And he did so many great short stories. And, and, you know, George has always been a slow writer too. That's what a lot of people don't realize. And he had been working on those Game of Thrones books for a long time uh, when they, um, you know, first popped up. I'm guilty in that I had all the first editions and I actually gave them away oh, and no. bought new editions. Well, I still wish I'd have kept the first edition because <laughs> I bought the new ones and had George sign those, you know, and then all my other books, I was looking through them the other day and they're all books he had signed when, when we see each other, different things. And I thought, well, I should have kept those first editions. I'd made some money off that boy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just got one comment and we talked to Brennan brought up social media. That's the crazy thing about it. Like in this field, any entertainment field, it's weird. It's like, you know, it's not like any other job in the world in the sense that everyone feels entitled, not everyone, people, strangers, they feel entitled to kind of say whatever they want to people they've never met before. Like I'm sure you've experienced, I know you've experienced the job, seen it from random people about your books or how you deal with your money, with your family. It's, incredibly rude and intrusive, but um, I don't know where I'm going with this. So Brennan, jump in and save me, but it, it's, it's a weird time because you get to talk to anyone you want and connect with them. But at the same time, you got, you know, Joe Schmo over here saying, Hey, this book sucks. Write this book. It, it, do you have any comments on that, Joe? I don't know where I'm going with this man. <laughs> uh, I think you know, a lot of people that I know that, that that comment are, are always sweet and and they're you know most of them are very very kind and and uh, I'm proud to have them read the books and that they put beans on my table and and I love doing it I mean how do you, how lucky am I to get to do exactly what I wanted to do when I was four years old I didn't know it was a career but I wanted <laughs> to tell stories and and I got to do that so every once in a while you know I've had a couple of stalkers and then I've had like uh, one guy that writes me weird letters about come rescue him. You know, he's obviously got some uh, uh -oh. mental and emotional problems <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, you get some of that, but most of the, most of the time it's been all right. I, th I think Italy is one of the more interesting ones. I, when Italy, I'm extremely popular in Italy. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a superstar over there. People recognize me on the street and stuff. Wow. And uh, I, that's fun for about a week. But then after a little while, I, I, I can imagine what George goes through daily, constantly, because I get a little dose of, and I go, okay, that's great. I get to feel like I'm a big dog for a week, but after that, I want to be a small dog again. I want to go home and, and, uh, do my thing. And, you know, I'll, I'll be someplace that I'd never imagined and people will recognize me. And I go, how is that possible? <laughs> you know, that anybody would recognize me anywhere, but not like those guys. I like George and Steven and people like that. 
And, um, you know, and I, and I mean it when I say I don't want that. I want enough attention and, a, and enough financial reward to keep doing it. But I, I, that, I always think about people like superstars, you know, in film and stuff like that. Gosh, that must be miserable. I mean, most parts of it is great. It's kind of that constant, hey, people recognize me. That's cool. And then it's like, who, who the hell is that? And uh, the weirdest thing that I think I've had happen was in Italy where um, a, a woman clutched my crotch. But that's, that is the, perhaps the, the weirdest thing. And that was when I was with Lou Shiner and we were, we were doing a, a tour over there. And uh, they thought it was funny. And you know what? So did I. I know I understand people that would think, oh, my God, you've been violated. But I just thought it was funny. I didn't want it to happen again. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's enough. Disclosure, you know, don't go in there but yeah. I no <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why that was. Uh, and it was obviously planned between these two women, but I have no idea why that oh came about. God. I think they challenged each other. They got to thinking. Maybe they think they had a lot of wine. And they challenged each other, and then one of them did it, you know. So. Wow. Well, yeah, I Sadie. violated my space. <laughs> I mean, Sadie and I were talking, um, uh, have been talking a lot, and, and it is interesting. I mean, Sadie, I think more than anybody, has been dealing in that space and sort of, I mean, you get to see everybody. Oh, I bet. You know, you see the author side. You see the people interacting. I mean, you see the good, the bad, the ugly. So, I mean, I feel like if anybody has a, a take on it, it's you more than any of us. I mean, I'm so thankful for social media because I've gotten to meet heroes, you know, that way I get to talk to Joe. I mean, I, I, I might have played it cool, like talking to you on the phone. But then like after we hung up, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, what life am I living? Like, honestly, like I was looking yeah, at my phone way. and <laughs> it's just, it's insane. So without social media, um, affording me all of these different opportunities, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't have a career. And it's kind of like, you know, you just have to learn how to use it wisely. And you just kind of learn through making mistakes. Um, and with the business, like I have to use right. it for the business, but you know, you just, you start learning how to formulate boundaries. You 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 start learning how to have like a um a circle of trust of like people that you can let in and kind of like talk to about things that you're like experiencing and and so that you don't go and shit post on Twitter and then say something <laughs> that you regret. So you just go and find those friends that you can kind of just be like, oh, I hate this that I saw that blah blah blah. Um, but like we, as human beings, we are not designed to have like 10,000 people barking at something that we did. Like that's unnatural. Okay. Yeah. Anyone's going to have a hard time with that. Yeah. Like, you know, Stephen King posting that picture of himself in a t-shirt and his socks, like he probably had no idea 600,000 people were going to have an opinion about that. You know, he probably <laughs> turned the notifications off in five minutes. Like, that's a lot, you know? Oh, yeah. We I think had... he gets to do what he wants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when we talked to Bev Vincent, he kind of said when he, when King, when Stephen tags him, he, what was it, Brennan? He said he turns him off because he gets a minute. You have to. You yeah. have to. Yeah, it's unreal. But you and, know, the one, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to blabber on about something not as 
funny or whatever as you are. So please save me, Joe. <laughs> no, it wasn't funny. It's just uh, I, I was I have a little delay sometimes, so I, I I don't mean to step on people's toes. I apologize for that. I got to be honest. But, I'm surprised uh, your internet's working. Yeah, yeah. I live out in the woods. He's out uh, in the middle of the uh, woods. It's <laughs> with the with the coyotes and. Or like we say around here is coyotes, but um, <laughs> coyotes. Um, nice. Damn, I forgot what I was gonna say. That was how good that's. No, I was gonna say this. I've seen on on the uh, you know Twitter, you'd be on it, and sometimes there's always there's the trolls. They're always waiting to turn something that a lot of people, including me, a few times, something that you say innocently or humorously, and you're really talking to somebody you already know on Twitter, right. and someone will find that and. You know, this is like a personal thing. You, it's out there for everybody to see, but it should be obvious because of you know the the way it's set up that you that you know you're talking to somebody that you're joking with or friendly with, or you should be able to say, "Well, it's a joke," and they understand. And they're like you know innocuous jokes. They're not they're nothing weird. They're just silly things that people will latch onto. And I've seen a lot of women. I actually I think I've seen this with Sadie too, where you have men that uh, act like you know idiots and. and uh, it's embarrassing to the species, to be honest. I, yep. I, I've seen that a few times, and I think, you know, they don't know her. And what are they saying about her? Why are they saying this, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you know what I'm talking about, I'm sure, you know. And I've seen I've seen so many women, they say something, and, and you got to have some guy come back and always sexualize it in some way. And, uh, you know, sex is part of life, but it's, it shouldn't be every part of your life. Right. And it shouldn't be something that you inflict on other people in, in that manner. And uh, I've seen that a lot. I think that's probably the thing I've seen the most that I think's ugly about about Twitter and probably Facebook and what have you. But um, I, but overall, I, I think that it it's a pretty good tool. But I'll be honest with you, if I weren't selling books on it and I didn't have people that I, I liked and admired like Sadie or whatever, I wouldn't be on it. Yeah. Yeah. Sadie, tell me to cut this if you want, but there was one thing that I was talking with Brennan with uh privately, because we couldn't get over this where Stephen King asked her a question and people jumped in and answered it. And I'm thinking, if I'm on if I'm on a street and two people are talking, I'm not gonna say, let me answer for person A. I, I it's unreal. Yeah, it's, so like Stephen King does not step out um, on Twitter hardly at all. He'll 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 tweet something and he'll interact with people like on his own uh, turf, but he doesn't really step out and comment on people's. That's like why Joe said it was really cool that Stephen King talked to him about his the loss of his dog, and um, you know he'll he'll step out once in a while. But I just thought it was cool that he I was having an A and B conversation with some author about a classic horror movie, um, the classic horror movies that he should watch. And I was like, oh, you should definitely watch The Thing. Um, and then Stephen King like steps in and is like, oh, well, what version did you watch? And yeah. so he's talking to me, which he never does. And I was like, okay, I'm, I have to like be cool and <laughs> think about what I'm going to say. So I, I collect myself. I type out this response, like in the time that it took me to do that, which wasn't long, like seconds, I type it out, hit send. And like four or five guys had answered the question 
for me. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? Like my, my daughter was sitting right next to me and I had a sweatshirt on. I like pulled my sweatshirt over my head, the hoodie. And I like pulled the strings and was just like, <laughs> like why are men? Like you didn't see a woman step in there and say shit to him. It was these fucking guys who are like, Oh, excuse me, lady. I'm going to talk for you now. Ugh. Excuse me, mother horror. Let me field this one for you. I wish we were at a con and that yeah, would have yeah. happened because <laughs> No, that would not have happened. Well, I always okay, get nervous. Shady, which version was it? Which yeah. version was it? <laughs> of course it was the 1980s version with Kurt Russell. Like, of I course. like the old one and that one too. I like them both. I think they're both wonderful. Yeah. You know, I just, that, that's one of Those are great movies, aren't they're they? They're great. But I mean, oh. But he asked you. (laughs) He did. He was talking to me. And like, you know, Stephen King just walks off because it's like he can't do he can't even turn around like this and talk to anyone without everyone Mm. being like, you know, (laughs) annoying. That's George, too. He has the same thing. That's what I mean. You know, when I was talking about that earlier is that we were like an an IHOP here in Nacogdoches and people were, you know, and uh, I. You know, if it'd been me, they come over. Hey, that's pretty cool. You know, but I'm not getting it all the time like he is. And uh, and, I, and I know he was exhausted. He was always kind. He was always sweet. But uh, you know, he, he can't even go to the IHOP in Nacogdoches, Texas, without being oh. spotted. Um, but I'm Bill gonna, to be was fair, the same. Bill, Bill was a sweetheart too. To yeah. be fair, they're Bill at the IHOP at, in Nacogdoches. IHOP. That's, I mean, if for Nacogdoches, well, that's yeah, but you think nobody would. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, okay, that's another way of looking at it. But that's like Bill Paxton had his hat and had his glasses and you know sunglasses, but people recognized him. And of course, he was a sweetheart, and he because he always was, you know. But you you uh, you think about those people and the kind of uh, fame they have and the recognition they have. Um, it's got to be cool in one way but it's got to be exhausting in another you know uh joe how much time we got left with you man with me yeah well the last few times we had you on i wasn't keeping track of time and i want to make sure everything in oh i'm cool i mean you go go ahead okay all right so want to cover born for trouble a little bit more um let's start with the creator joe can you I don't want to spoil anything. Tell us anything you want about it. And then um, anyone else, please. Um, I, 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 what I would say is that these are stories that have been written over the years about Happen Leonard. And they're, they're like, I, I think of them like the cartoons between the, the bigger novels. They're, they're kind of the, the moment where I can touch on it without having to be quite as involved with it because I just have this one little story I want to tell and it doesn't warrant a novel. And it's a way to play with different ideas. One of the things I've always done <clears throat> with Happ and Leonard is I've tried to make sure that they're always the same, but the novels I, I did, like a caper novel with Savage Season, I did the bad, <clears throat> you know, neighborhood novel with Mucho Mojo, Two Bear Mambo is the bad town, and, 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 uh, uh, uh Bad chili. I don't know what the hell that is. That's got a lot of stuff. But <laughs> what I did was every one of them was I tried to do a different with uh, Elephant of Surprise. I tried to do 
a momentum novel or a chase novel or a, a pure thriller novel. I've always experimented with them. And uh, I've never felt obligated to do any one kind of book. You know, Vanilla Ride, I think, is like more of a uh, slick sort of, um, um, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's more in the uh, pop vein in a way. I don't know how else to describe it, really. But, I mean, I've always tried to play around with it. So in this collection, with all these short stories, that's what you see me doing. Is I, each one of them is a little different from the other, and each one of them takes a little different tack than the other one. And uh, I had a great time writing them individually, but they were written over a, a period of time. You know, they're not uh, they're not new, but they've never been collected before. The most recent one I did for Ann Perry for uh, a mystery anthology, and that one's called Sad Onions, and that's a short story. But that's the most recent one. But it was a, you know it was a chance to play with different. Uh, approaches to suspense and and uh, crime. Very cool. Um, Brennan, Sadie, Casey, anything that you guys want to talk about uh, with this book? I mean, not specifically with that book because I'm not there yet, but I mean, just in terms of trying to tell people like the importance of I don't know, like getting immersed in, in an author's whole body of work, like back to back and just you know, like when I, when you read, um, an author's back catalog, like you might read like recent releases, like Joe just put out Moon Lake or, you know, something like that nature, but then to go back and to hear their voice over the period of time that they've been writing is just so, um, it's like a whole experience, you know, you, and you, to start a journey with Happen Leonard, like way back here in the first book, and then to take it all the way, um, to the last book. I mean, it's, I kind of don't want that to end, you know, they're kind of like fictional friends that you store in your heart and you kind of feel like, you know, them. Um, and so I'm glad that it's like a really large body of work. And then I can work through some of the short stories and stuff because those two characters get into some of the weirdest situations. So it's really fun that, that Joe made little stories and vignettes for them because they'll just like be sitting on the bed of a truck, like, you know, squirrel shooting or something, and they'll have the funniest conversation. And like he said, it doesn't have to be a whole novel, but I would sure as hell like to read that story. I only got as far as <laughs> book three for the older ones. And I, the third, they keep getting better. Um, not that the first one's anything short of, of a really great book, but um to 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 beer mambo when i f- figured out what the title meant i i was like there's just sense of humor i don't see that in a whole lot of other authors well thank you <laughs> the, you know and a lot of it people always say how do you do the humor and stuff i i don't it just happens you know i'm i'm writing it's kind of the way i think and kind of the way I see things, but I also use uh, the Happen Leonard novels for social issues and different things like that. And mm-hmm. I have them speak how people speak, and I have them speak how people I hear speak, both positively and negatively, because I'm I'm trying to you know entertain, but I also want to take that opportunity to you know comment on racism and comment on things that that I find um, deplorable or at least concerning, and yet things I also want to that I that I might find entertaining. And I think sometimes you have to look at the worst things in an entertaining way. 
Uh, Mark Twain said, there's no humor in heaven. And when you think about that, nearly all humor is based on somebody's pain, discomfort, or what have you. And so the and, you know, this was coming from an atheist, uh, you know, Mark Twain. But uh, the idea is that if you really think about it, and you, you you know, somebody falling off a ladder is slapstick. You might not really want somebody to fall off a ladder, but if it didn't kill them and you thought about it later, it might be funny. <laughs> and I think we're all kind of like that. And I, in the thicket, I had uh, a character, Shorty, say, everything in life is funny, but you're deaf, but others will laugh. <laughs> I freaking love that book so much. There's like so many times where I was like crying in some parts and then the next part I'm laughing. Like that, that definitely is your whole brand, Joe, is just the horror and humor and humanity, a lot of humanity. Sadie, do you have a favorite? If you had to pick one. You know, it's funny is because. No, I'm going. Oh, my of uh, mine or who are you talking to? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. This. No, that's all right. This is a fun game because I I stop sometimes because I don't know if it's gonna be a delay. <laughs> no, it's just a delay on my end. It makes you know. I say every once in a while. No, you know, if I had to pick a favorite of my own, it's Paradise Sky. That's my favorite of all my books. And uh, it may, is it my best? I don't know, but it's my favorite, and I <laughs> I think it's my best. But most people have their own, you know, and. It's funny is that I have these other books that I think are far better than the Happen Leonard's as complete books, but I've never had characters I loved more than Happen Leonard. Uh-huh. And, and I, I do think that uh, Blood and Lemonade and uh, uh, of Mice and Minestrone are two of my very best books about in their younger period. And I, I those are my favorite Happen Leonard books. If you, so which ones do you like the best? It'd be those two, really. Uh-huh. You big fan of, uh, of Mice and Men? Is that kind of a, is a knockoff? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Steinbeck fan. I'm a Hemingway fan, but yep. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, Faulkner, Flannery O'Connor, Carson McCullers, all of those writers. And, and, you know, as well as people like Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont and, uh, you know, Henry Kuttner and Cyril Kornbluth. I mean, I could just go on and on and on for all those older writers, uh, be they considered popular fiction or literary fiction. Um, but you know, uh, like Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird's my favorite novel, still is. Huckleberry Finn, my goodness, you know, Mark Twain. I love Mark Twain. There's all of those writers have impacted me and changed me and, and, and you know, influenced me. I've always been very open about those influences, and Greek mythology is a big influence, and things like, uh, you know, the Iliad and, and the Odyssey and Jason and the Argonauts, or the Argonautica is what the book's actually called by Apple. Um, see, I think it's Apollonius of Rhodes, I think is the author of that. But there's all of those particular things, you know, they all come together. And if I have anything about my style that is peculiar at all, I think it's just because I put all that in a blender. And I don't stop and think, am I making this a weird Western? It, I'm, I know it's going to be a weird Western, but I try to let all of that become natural and not have something that's, you know, you got your weird part, you got your Western part. That's that's not how it's done. Or you got your crime part, you got your science fiction part. It's all supposed to be a blended thing when I'm doing it. Some have more elements of one thing than another, but that, that all comes from love and passion of all of those writers and wanting to be good yourself and wanting to say, you know, maybe somebody will remember this. And if they don't, I don't have to worry about it because I'll be dead. But you know, <laughs> you hope they do. 
as far as weird westerns go, quick plug to Silver Shamrock. You and uh, Ed Lee, I don't know who else is. No, no other authors, to my knowledge, have been announced yet are going to be in Silver Shamrock's uh, Midnight. Was it Midnight Beyond? It's not Beyond the Stagecoach. Um, I think wow. in the Stagecoach. Yeah, definitely should have written that down. So, Sadie, I was wondering if you, what your favorite Haven Leonard book is. Um, well, I love Savage Season. I love the first one a lot. It's a good um, one. My favorite uh, Lansdale book is all, well, this happens to me a lot with all, a lot of different authors is the first one that I read is always my favorite. Um, So I didn't, I did, I was following Joe online and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to read. I couldn't figure out which one I wanted to read, but I wanted to read the bottoms because it had um, child protagonists, which are my favorite. Um, I was blown away I was calling my mom in the middle of it being like what like you ruined my whole life like why didn't you have any of these books in your house so that I could read this when I was younger <laughs> like I was so mad at her and she, and then I made her read it and then my parents started getting into him and then we all started fighting over who discovered Joe first it was me um but the bottoms <laughs> is my favorite and then edge of dark water because it's also child protagonist but mm. i love when joe does kids um yeah. his his voice for kids is i do too best. i like that <laughs> it's my favorite what about you casey i'm curious to know what your favorite happen leonard is uh let's see well you know i have i think mucho mojo is probably my favorite and then i have some sentimental favorites which i think are the the later ones because i feel more like probably elephant a surprise. Cause I think at that point, I feel like I'm really hearing my dad speak mm-hmm. and I feel like the, the character, cause I, Savage season actually is one of my least favorites. <laughs> and, and so when I read it, but, but only because I think I read it and I see how unformed happen Leonard are. And it's hard for me to go backwards in my brain in that way, mm-hmm. because I, I read it and I was like, Oh, he doesn't know what's going on with them. He doesn't, he doesn't know. <laughs> He doesn't know that these guys are going to be here for the next 30 years. Right. And, and, I didn't, and, yeah. and he didn't. And it's, so it's, it's hard for me to go backwards. So Mucho Mojo is probably my favorite. Um, and then, yeah, I'm going to say elephant is surprise, but you know what? The story of mice and minestrone, I think is one of the, the best happen Leonard stories. And it was in the previous collection and it's just so sad. <laughs> it's like but it's it's bittersweet and sad and very much just like reminds me of where I grew up and the people that I grew up around and the people that like they just never really had a shot you know and you just you read it and you you feel it and it's it's uh it's probably for that reason like the emotional favorite of of all of them but um yeah it's hard it's hard because I like them all for different reasons and they mean different things to me because they're done at different stages and it's um, there's so much about my family that's entrenched in there. So it's like picking who's your favorite, you know, cousin, you know, it's like, I like them all for different reasons, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really weird. And I mean, obviously that's a, a biased answer, but um, I am biased. So, you know, there you have you, it. There's no <laughs> choice. There's no way you, you or Keith cannot be unbiased in this kind of thing. Like how can you, you've, You've literally were, you, you grew up in it. Um, Brennan, favorite buddy. 
Uh, you know, I think I got to go for, for the Happen Leonard series. I really liked uh, Two Bear Mambo a lot. And I'm still I'm still relatively early on. I got some I got some catching up to do. But uh, the whole evil town thing, you know, Joe, you mentioned there's you, you don't shy away from the social yeah. commentary and Grovetown has it in spades. Um, but it, it's you know, it's got all the things that I love about those books. It's got, you know, the, 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 the these it makes me grimace because of the brutal things that these guys go through i mean they just you, you you can't write a book without kicking their poor asses up and down the street um it's got the humor you know i'll tell you in that book i was crying laughing at the fucking christmas ants um when he, when he <laughs> real story the story real about story. the christmas oh, ants in the cafe i'm uh, dying um i was in a happens. cafe in a little little town where uh I was visiting uh, for some research on Happen Leonard, and I had two big bruisers, you know, come over, and I thought, well, it looks like I'm gonna have to, uh, uh, you know, get active here and have a have a real fight because they were they were very uh, aggressive. And then they, you know, what are you what are you doing here? You from around here? No, I'm from Nacogdoches. What are you doing here? I said, I work for the health department. Well, what do you do in the health department? I said, well, right now we're looking at the Christmas ants. And they said, what? I said, the Christmas ants. I said, haven't you heard about them? And then it's pretty much just like you see it in the book. I told that story, though. They did a version of it in the TV series, which was funny. But I told them that, and I kept telling them, I said, yeah, they're really big. And, you know, and I, I kept talking about, yeah, they're getting bigger and bigger. They've never seen anything like this. And I said, it's not well known, but I'm going to prepare you. There were whole towns where people had disappeared. And they just got all enraptured. And finally, the lady behind the counter said, he's pulling your leg. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm going to put that in the book. And I did. That's even yeah. better knowing that. That's uh, so much better. And they thought hey, it was but- funny. And, you know, I just dif- <laughs> diffused the situation, uh, you know, because I've been in enough fights growing up where I grew up. Uh, and I, I didn't want to go there again, you know. And even though, I, to be honest with you, I, I was good at it. I was, uh, you know, a martial artist. And I didn't. I was, I was in my 40s, I guess, when I wrote that book. But it was interesting because I thought I, I'm going to diffuse this. And I did. And, uh, but they really believed it. They thought I was from the health department and they thought that they had to fear Christmas ants. And so when that lady behind the counter said, he's pulling your leg, then they both laughed and we were all good, you know. <laughs> Did you say hey, one yeah. of them was working for the wastewater department? I thought you said something about sewers and what well, he said he was working, he he was pretending to work for the health department. No, no, no. I know that Joe was, but I meant uh where Hap was. It doesn't matter. Okay. So Brennan, ask your question. Oh, we may have, who who knows? (laughs) It's been so, I've written so many of those kind of scenes, you know, different things of that nature. I always try to find moments when the plot's not as important as it might be in those kind of books where you have just little side trips and you have little things that you learn about the people, you know, and that's important to me is, um, you know, people say there, there's an old, there's an old, uh, saw that people have they say never write anything in a book that isn't about the plot or slows down the plot and i don't believe that at all and i I believe what makes books interesting is that they're unique and they have these you know moments in them that are aren't about the plot and that's harder to do than it looks because for some people that can derail the whole story so it's a balancing act you know but i like it that's life man in a novel you can get away with that um I'm going to go with you, Brendan. Same answer. I've only, for the older ones, I've only read up to that one, and that's my favorite of the three so far. So ask your question, sir. 
I was just going to throw in there, you know, as my, I love the humor. I love the, 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 the beatings and stuff that, uh, the violence in there. Um, but it's what gets me. The reason I love these books is the friendship, you know, it's the, the, the way that, you know, Joe is able to embody and display, you know, the importance of just adult friendships, you know, in, in the, in the books where they're a little older, um, you, you can't help but get a smile on your face. And it's in that one. It's in, you know, Bad Chili to see just the lengths these two will go to support each other while constantly ribbing each other, too. You know, it's just it's so authentic, you know, that you're going to have a friend that you'd go to the ends of the earth for, but you're still going to rip on him while you're doing it. <laughs> and brothers. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. Yeah. That yeah. and it's juvenile see, humor too. You know, yeah. they're very juvenile. Of course, <laughs> you don't see many male friendship. Or maybe more now, but especially when he started writing them, you didn't see a lot of male friendships put up that way. You know, it wasn't something that was celebrated. I mean, you see a lot of female friendships, and that's sort of a stereotypical thing. But I always thought that was an interesting um, piece that people really related to because you know men aren't allowed to to talk about how much they love their friend, you know, I mean, more so Mm. now, but especially 30 years ago, it was like, you know, even hearing two men platonically say, love you, man, love you, man. Like you hear that so much more now than I think you did even five years ago, you know, it just, those sorts of things, people need to feel like absolutely there are people that they can connect with. I think that's really important too. And I mean, we've talked about this with you, Joe, before, but like talking about people coming up to you and telling you how books have changed uh, their life and for the better. And, you know, Happen Letters, it's a really good example to show. I mean, a black and white guy, one, you know, redneck, one uh, gay, angry, non-cliche male, both best friends love each other. And um, at the end of the day, they love each other and in the purest of form. And that could help someone um, just realize it's okay. You know, to- yeah, you know, it has. And, and I've had this many times, but I had one in Tulsa that I went up to, uh, I went to a signing and this was, I, I guess about three, four years ago, whenever, you know, I did my last, I think 2019 probably. And uh, the guy came up to me and, and uh, you know, he was a kind of a bruiser guy and he came to me and he said, I just wanted to thank you. And I said, well, what for? And he said, these let me go. Let these taught me how to let go of my hate, how to let go of that anger. And I thought, if if it did that for anybody, then the whole thing was worth doing, you know. And that makes you feel good because that's really what you know. You're you're writing books, you're writing for entertainment, but I've never been somebody that's looking for a pattern and looking for a way of doing it every time, and where everything always comes out just right. And it was fun to know that I had been able to put those social elements into it and for it to truly affect somebody. And he was talking about black people and gay people, how he was able to let go of his feelings before that, you know, his prejudices. And I thought, okay, you know, it was worth it. That's amazing. Um, I got one more question. I'll throw it to you, Brennan. Uh, Casey, you and I talked a little while ago about a book that you and your father wrote working on together. I would love to hear anything that you want to talk about that. Um, Yeah. So we have, 
we have a collection originally called Terror is Our Business, and it's two characters. Uh, one was a longstanding character that my dad had named Dana Roberts, and I had a character named Jana Davis. And we ended up doing a story that was not connected to um, dad's original character, but we used my character in this story. And then we realized that those two characters really belonged in the same universe. And so we did this collection. It, it did really well. I mean, Sadie, before I even knew who Sadie was, she actually reviewed it. So, um, and before she knew who we were, it was like, she was just doing her books, you know, her book reviews. And now I go back and I'm like, oh, and now we're friends. Yeah, that's funny. So we actually just made that sort of realization not long ago, but it's, it was a, it was a really fun project and it was different than the way dad normally writes. And I was able to bring in sort of a, a side of things that are probably a lighter um, in that particular circumstance, more humorous side of things. And then we have a new collection coming out that includes those stories, but it also has a new Dana and Jana story that was recently published in a Sherlock Holmes collection. So they are all reprints, but they're being collected together. And, uh, and those characters are fun. It's, they, they don't have the same love as Happen Leonard, but they have a respect. And I think that as the characters evolve, as those stories continue to grow, it could get there. I, I don't know because, um, because that's not really the structure of who Dana specifically is. But I think that having the respect will really allow them to, to grow and let the narrative kind of go much further than we intended it to originally. And then we also have a collection coming out called Dark Kin, um, which are stories that he and I have done together. I think they're all, they're all duos. And then um, we have a new story in that called Sea Legs, and that will be coming out as a limited collection um, from Thunderstorm Books. So those are the two sort of in, in the work that's, projects. That's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So it's fun, you know, and I, I like doing yeah, work with we, him. We, it's like I was telling somebody uh, yesterday, it's, it's a master class, you know, and, and I'm trying to find my voice. I'm trying to learn from him. I'm trying to find my voice. I'm trying to not let his voice overcrowd mine, but I'm also trying to, to listen and learn and sort of let that blending come about naturally. And the more that we have done it, the more that I've sort of seen um, the pacing, I think pacing for me has always been um, maybe, and maybe the most important thing for me to sort of sit back and watch because I either want to do it all up front or I want to, um, or I want to over explain it. So kind of seeing how he's laid it out. And, uh, and I feel like, you know, everybody that goes to the writer's workshops and things like that, I'm like, well, I have this great opportunity to do a one-on-one -on -one writer workshop. So I'm, I'm going to take it. And, and it's fun, you know, and if the other thing is like, I'll always have this thing that we've done together. That's always going to live on. And I think that's pretty special too. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. Real quick shout out Thunderstorm yeah. Books, Paul Goblet. He's a, uh, he, he's got a great thing yeah. going on for anyone interested Great, and great uh, you, we we should also mention one of those isn't from Thunderstorm. The uh, first one, the Dana, is from SST, and then Thunderstorm is the Dark Ken. Mm. So they're both you know great publishers, and we're both excited Paul. to be Pauls with Pauls are them. good people. Yeah. <laughs> all fly. Yeah, we like all yeah, the Pauls. Yeah, he is. He's all good. Yeah, Pauls are good people. That's right. 
You know, the thing about those uh, collection, if I can just add this real quick, is that, uh, you know, I learned from Casey, too, and I've learned from Keith with working with them because um, they make you, I think, get in touch with your younger self or your, if not necessarily younger, your more original self in the way that you're trying to figure out how to get it done. And uh, it reteaches you things that you've gotten maybe kind of sloppy with or maybe just felt like that you're, uh, uh, you know, you haven't noticed it as much. So you learn a lot. And I, I do think, and, and I say this not because it's Casey, but I do honestly think that the best uh, Dana and Jana stories are the ones that she worked on too, because they she kind of controlled those. I think maybe the last one I started the pages, but before that, all the others that we did together, she would start them. And then I would write, you know, kind of do a few things with that and write a little to it. Then she'd do it. Then we'd both go over it. But I, I, I really felt like that everything beginning with blind love or really kind of Casey's stories in a way. And maybe the last one's a little bit more 50, 50, but I felt like the others were a little bit more like 60, 40 and oh, wow. maybe a little more than that because she kind of controlled them. And when I did the, the original Dana stories, I tried to do them like the old, uh, Karnacki, you know, ghost finder and all those sort of, uh, you know, psychic detectives and things like that. And I, I think I did it a little too well. They were a little too stiff. And I think that Casey added the, you know, the, the humor back into them, which is always weird because that's kind of what I'm known for, but those weren't very humorous. They were, they were just straightforward. And I think she brought a, a factor to that. And I believe too, that, that, uh, I'm not a teacher in that I'll say, you got to do it this way. I, I'm kind of like, you try it that way and see what you think. See how that works. And I know that's aggravating to people sometimes because they want specific answers, but I just don't believe in that. Yeah, because I'll I feel ask like him, I will. What's wrong with it? I don't know. There's just something right here that needs to be fixed. Right. Can you yeah, I don't want to impose else? My, <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to impose my 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 approach to it because then you don't learn your approach to it. But, you know, you can feed people things. You can kind of like knock them back into play. And once in a while I'll say, yeah, the characters aren't quite you know, up to snuff or, you know, this dollar. But I, I always try to keep it reasonably general so that the whoever I'm working with, be it Casey or be it Keith or, uh, you, you know, my wife and I worked like that, too. And it didn't work like that. She's the boss. It's the end of that. But in those uh, in those two, with, working with them, I kind of let them try to find themselves. You know, and because I know that if they're going to write things on their own, once they find themselves, they can do that. And Casey's written a number of stories on her own. I don't know exactly how many, but almost enough for a collection. Yeah, it's it's, you know, it's and it's interesting because it's trying to find again, it's like finding my voice, finding the things that are uh, speaking to me and then also sort of having this um, imposed, maybe self-imposed even expectation of what a Lansdale story should look like. And so that's been sort of where, uh, when we go through our work together is I really want to make sure that my voice is there, but we are still coming with our own, you know, our own mindsets, our own voices. And so kind of finding that blend. And I think of everything we've done, the Dana Jana stories really, uh, really hit that sweet spot. Excellent. Yeah. And, and Casey and I are probably closer in style than my son and I. My son and I have other ways we think that are very similar, but Casey and I have very similar styles and humor. 
And so, uh, you know, you find, you find people's strengths and you find your own working with other people. Cause I hate collaborating. And the only person that, that I like collaborating with are my kids and, and, and Casey and I've done it more than Keith and I have done it, but I generally don't like it. And, and I didn't want to do it with her originally. And I tried, I turned it down a couple of times. Yeah. The first time that we actually got asked, it was Christopher Golden asked if we wanted to do a story together. And I was, yeah, of course. And then he asked dad and dad was like, nope. <laughs> so, so I started the story and I wrote the first like three or four pages. And I said, Christopher, just, just watch, watch. And I sent him the story. And then a little bit later, I get an email. I hate you. you know. <laughs> and it's dad because he started writing on the story because I knew he couldn't let a story linger. I knew if I just put it in front of him, his brain would start activating and then we'd have a go. Oh, but, no. Uh, you yeah. just opened the floodgates for fans of Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, right. about to get a lot of emails with three or four pages of a story idea. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be from Patrick, though. <laughs> Don't tell him my secret spreading. Just ask your question, man. <laughs> um, you know, I, I love the idea of, of you guys collaborating. I think that's such a special thing um, to be able to do with family. That's, that's so cool. And the fact that you guys have voices that complement each other is just, I love it. I, there's no better way to put it. I love it. Um, so I, I want to talk about Pandy Press, but I have no idea who to address first because I want to know kind of where the idea originated, uh, where this where this whole thing started. So out in the air you go. It's Casey. Did I take? I mean, I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to presume. Um, okay, so Pandy Press, thanks for asking. Um, in 2014, Dad and I realized that we wanted to start housing his backlist. And that we wanted to start putting all of those titles in one place, either to have them organized for reselling or to eventually just have complete ownership as they went out of print from some of the publishers. Now, his major novels, those are all still in print from publishers. But some of these novellas, some of the small collections, after they've gone out of print, we've started to slowly house them. 2014, we put up three backlist titles, Find Dark Line, Freezer Burn, and um, a third one that is escaping me in this moment that probably Hot everybody else knows. Hot, no, um, trigger, trigger, a big blow. Big blow, yeah. Uh, and so we had three titles online available. If someone knew to search for them, they could get them print on demand, ebook, that's it. It was sort of a quiet, we exist, we're housing these books, and if you need them, this is where you can get them. And then we've been slowly making a list of other backlist titles with the intention of one day in our lives releasing them. So I thought, well, this will be a nice thing to retire into. And then pandemic hit and I was suddenly retired <laughs> and I thought, oh, OK, well, maybe this is a really interesting time to explore this. So it's it's sort of lingered. And then I talked to Jonathan, who is my uh, boyfriend, but also happens to be an InDesign expert, uh, a graphic design layout book person that all the Fortune 500 companies have brought him in to teach them how to do books. And so as we're talking about it, I start realizing that in this house, we basically have the makings of a publishing company because the other part of the backlist was 
there's a lot of backlist guys. Like this, this, he's been a busy boy and it's expensive to, to lay out and design and create covers and do all those things for that many titles. So the fact that we have someone in-house who's able to do them now, granted he's one man. So it, it, you know, the process turns at the pace it does, but eventually we'll have more titles up. We now have eight or nine and we're putting up a new one every two weeks, give or take, depending on um, how much work has to do with recreating the layout. It also depends on if, if there's a digital file, because a lot of these backlist stories dad wrote before there was computers. So we have to find these tools and put them together. So as we started doing that, we, we, we sort of decided like, oh, we actually want to move forward with this with the intention of taking all the backlist, collecting it in one place, and eventually releasing new stories from new authors. So we signed one author who is a good friend of ours, who knows that he's sort of in this journey with us. And his name's Del Howison. And we're going to put out one of his books next year. And I'll just kind of pin it for there because we're, we're working all that out. But throughout this process of sort of discovery, dad is... Basically, he's the Pandy VP because the backlist is all his and none of this would exist without him there. He he gets cover approval. He gets all these things that are, you know, part of that process. We have him sort of more on the author side of things, though, because we do intend to expand. We do intend to bring in other works. And that's uh, part of what we're doing right now with our distribution securement and just sort of deciding how best to move forward, learning about how to do promotion, all of these things. So as we're learning these tools, as I'm in a pandemic world, I'm not doing music in the same way. I'm not touring all the time. I'm not on the road all the time. So I started working with Tachyon Publications during that time, and I'm doing some of their publicity. So one of the books that I'm working is Born for Trouble, which I think is how we all connected initially was um, just letting people know, hey, this book exists. So as I'm learning this process and having only been on the, the author side of it, both as an observer and, a, and a, a writer, I'm now seeing all of these tools and these people that are in this world and I'm seeing them constantly. And the, there's this one person that I just keep seeing everywhere. And I'm like, who is this mother horror lady? <laughs> <laughs> and then I started looking, I'm like, she's everywhere. Everybody knows her. And then somehow I, I don't even remember how we got connected. And then I don't know if I reached out to you or if, no, you know what? You might've reached out to me for body shocks. Yeah. I actually don't remember. It might've been Ellen's body shocks. I, I mean, don't remember we were working together through Tachyon first. Yeah. And I right? seen you everywhere. And I was just like, who is this person who is just like taking over the, the internet and the world at the same time that I'm sitting here, like, you know, what's going on. And then we connected and then I'll maybe say to you kind of take your role here. Um, yeah. So, and I was, you know, kind of dabbling in working with publishers with their social media platforms and um, because social media is just something that I self-taught myself, like how to do and kind of do it well. Like, I don't know. I just hit on some kind of way to connect with people that just works. Um, and I think a lot of uh, publishers just don't have the time for engagement on social media and to make posts and to keep that up regularly. So I was kind of helping several different publishers 
Um, and then, um, well, you just invited me to like work alongside you, Casey, um, just being like, would you want to come on board? Is this something you would want to do? And at the, in the same time, I also had a phone conversation with Joe kind of about the same thing. And then I'll talk to Joe about something and go back and tell Casey. And then Casey will tell me something and I'll go to <laughs> Joe and be excited about it. And we just realized that we all just kind of like each other and it would be a good fit to work together. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's fun because also right. you, you were also doing some stuff for Moon Lake for us. So I wasn't working Moon Lake officially. I was just like, my daddy has a new book. So yeah. You know, so you, you were doing that. And then I know you had somebody who wanted copies and then we were getting, we were trying to figure out how to do that. So it just, what we realized is like, we had a really nice way of interacting. And it was like, every time something came up, it, it just felt, it felt fine. It felt safe. It felt good. And and I think that when you find those relationships with people, you run with it, you know, and it, and the timing was really um, just, a, it couldn't have been better timing because something in her time frame changed. And I said, well, as soon as that changed, it just so happens that we need the exact skill set that you have that none of us can do. And I mean, we've all, we've all seen the work that she does. So we know the quality and yeah. we know the way that people respond. And, and like you say, is you do connect with people in that way. And that's, that's harder than people realize to do it over the internet, you know, in that way. So now you know, there's having- another thing I, Sorry, Casey, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I got that delay. I'm go ahead. Okay. So now now having her sort of as the brand ambassador has been so um important and just uh you know a good a good marriage of it all. Go ahead, Dad. Sorry. I, I would just no, I didn't mean to step on you. I, I get that delay once in a while and I think something's done and then I, I I step on your toes. I apologize for that. No, but um I, I think Sadie's got something else too, and you got it too, Casey. Both of you guys have got charisma. And it's, it's even when you can do it over Twitter, that's something different. And uh, because anybody can do Twitter and anybody can learn how to do it. But, you you know, like you said, Sadie, you're self-taught. I'm self-taught. Casey's self-taught. We're all self-taught people. And I think that makes us more dedicated. And it probably makes us more proud of ourselves. We think, yeah, we do it. We work hard. We're <laughs> proud of ourselves. And yeah. I think that's a good thing. But I, I do think that y'all do have a charisma that comes across on those things. And that's something that you really can't teach someone. So, uh, and, and I, I don't know whether we, you, you know, you can be proud of it or you just say that's genetics or what, but whatever, it's a, it's a hell of a tool. It's a hell of a tool. Well, and Sadie and I've uh, talked about this. She loves the authors and you love the work and you know the work. You're not just a social media person. You're, you love fiction. That's yeah. it. That's, yeah. That's yeah. And I do, I, I used to kind of associate myself in the reviewer circle um, and just kind of like align with reviewers because that's what I was doing for Cemetery Dance and Screen Magazine. But that evolution has kind of landed me in, in a more, I don't know, like in other circles, like I do find myself um, aligning with authors and publishers and that side of the business as well. Um, so I do kind of find like, if you can stand in all the camps and just kind of be empathetic to where everybody is, then that makes you a really key component. Um, I don't know what really to say about it, but I, I don't, I don't find that I, I advocate for any one party in this industry. I feel like I can be really empathetic towards every part of the 
I mean, I sell the horror, I read the horror, I review the horror. Like <laughs> it's like I am in all the different circles. So well, and even yeah. though your mother horror, well, you like that more too, than that. You know? Yeah, and you, I just gonna say Casey's like that too. She's a writer. She's a publisher. She's you know she's seen all sides of it and grew up in it. You know she'd go to New York with me and and when I would meet editors or when we went to film people or whatever. And you, Sadie, you're constantly interacting with all these people, and that's 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 the difference. You're not you're looking at it from someone who enjoys this, but you also have a unique platform and you have a unique ability and Casey does too. And, and I'm not just saying that because you guys are on my team. Uh, you know, I would trust you even if you were wrong, because I think that it's, it's a, it's an attitude that matters. And, and, you know, if you've got somebody uh, in your camp, it, it, you know, you know, they're in your camp and that was good. You know, I, I always, uh, Think about that with Bill Paxton. We we were saying one time that uh, you know we were friends, but and but we didn't always trust each other's judgment. <laughs> so you know you can still, you can, but you can trust what people are doing and let them do your thing. And in y'all's case, I do trust your judgment. And uh, in the short time that Casey's been doing this, her experience uh, and the things that she has grown into have amazed me. But then I get to thinking she's almost been training for it from out of the womb, you know, without even realizing she was training for it. Yeah. It's funny. It's, you know, pandemic really changed um, a lot of things in my path, you know, and I'm not sure what that means for the future or what will kind of revert back and what won't. But a lot of things that I always thought would sort of exist in the ether presented themselves much sooner and much closer than I expected. And in a way where it's been fun to reach out to people and people, oh, Oh my God, I met you when you were like 14 at this convention and blah, 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 blah. Or I saw you at this event or I came to your signing. It's such, and it's been kind of like a, a big family reunion of getting to connect with people that you didn't even realize that you had met or impacted or that they would even remember. And then for me as a child that I, in some cases, don't remember just because, you know, it was so long ago. So it, it's been a really nice sort of discovery and something that is a lot more natural than I expected it to be. But now that I'm in it, I don't know why that seemed like a question. Well, you know, uh, when you were growing up, you'd have Don Coscarelli at the house. You'd have Richard Christian Matheson and David Scow, and they were all just folks. Those were just like uncles or something, you know? <laughs> and so you didn't think about that. Keith didn't either. And, and I think that, uh, I think the good thing about that is neither one of them grew up in awe of uh, people who did those sort of things were directed and, and, and wrote and were artists and, and uh, you know, you might, but, but I think it developed a deep respect as they begin to realize, Oh, that's what those guys do. <laughs> that's what those ladies do, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I do think that you're, you know, you're training without even know you're training. So that's a good thing. And, and I think Casey was fortunate in that, uh, Karen and I were doing well enough that the kids got to travel all over the world. They got to meet all kinds of people in different countries. Casey lived in Italy a little bit for, uh, and it speaks Italian to some degree. And she spent a lot of time there and learned a lot of cultural things that she would never have experienced in East Texas. I, you know, my biggest fear is that she would grow up with somebody that all they wanted to do was drive around the pickup and spit tobacco out the open window. And uh, if, if you're, you know, if you're a, you know, if you guys, you know, if you're one of those guys, I, I'm sorry. 
You know, that's, that's it. I, that's not who I envision as my my daughter's mate. <laughs> You're her dad. But you want I wanted the to, best I wanted for her, to man. at least be experienced. So at least if he spent tobacco, he was somebody that appreciated books and art and what have you. And uh, so, you know, we tried to give them an opportunity to learn for themselves. Say, you know, here you're exposed to this. Go do it. You know, whether I, I don't know if you guys you went to the Louvre didn't you, on your own, didn't you, Casey? Or did mm-hmm. you when you were in France? But stuff like that, you know, going to all these different places that when you're in East Texas growing up, not only do you not have that normally have that opportunity, uh, most people and I would have been one too growing up because I, you know, I'm very much a, a poor East Texan. I would have known what the Louvre was. I thought that was maybe some kind of window or something that you crank down. <laughs> Uh, you know, I speaking of Don, this is a terrible segue, but Bubba Hotep, that or Act of Love, will that come out through Pandy Press? Okay, so Act of Love has been, gone back and forth because depending on what day you ask Dad, he either says okay or I don't want that back in print. So, <laughs> so I'm going to say yes because I'm going to catch him on a day where he'll say yes. So yeah, send, send him three pages of. Really, anything else to do with it. <laughs> I'm send him three pages of active love and be like, what do you think about this story? Because <laughs> then, oh, was, and then Bubba, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, active love, I did see, Joe, you said recently that you kind of tackled that subject before Thomas Harris did with Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I haven't yeah, read. That as well. <laughs> I have not read Active Love yet, but Red Dragon is one of my favorite books ever. So that caught my attention. It's a great book. Yeah. And Casey, you were going to say Bubba Hotep? Are you guys getting that one? Well, that I don't know. Dad, did we get Bubba Hotep back? Well, it's yeah. currently in print with um, a couple. It's in the Best of Joe R. Lansdale from Tachyon, and it's also in Bubba and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers, which it's also included in there. But, but you know, it's it's a story. It's, it's play, it can be somewhere else, so it may happen. But, you know, before we go too much farther, I know that this is probably getting past – Sadie's bedtime and my own. Yeah. So if you guys are tired, because <laughs> I go to bed early too. I relatively I, yeah, I definitely do. We're we're the old timers in this lot. Oh, I'm I'm so okay. I have bags under my eyes. So I'm I'm good too. We're all tired. <laughs> so if it's all right with you guys, we can skip this question. If anyone wants to jump in, that's fine. This is kind of the wrap down question, which we always start with. What are you reading? Um, I'd like to talk about two quick ones. Just show them real quick. That's all right with you guys. The first one's Ronald Kelly's memoir. Uh, it's coming on September, and uh, he he and he's he's a uh, oh man. How do I say this? Well, it sounded like a smartass. He is an old timer like Joe, and I mean that with a yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, one that I'm diving into soon. And uh, uh, Sadie, I think you read this Red X by David Demchuk. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to read this. As deckled pages, can't really see it. Uh, okay. Oh, that's cool. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to read that. That's mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brennan. Um, I am reading Celeste by Maria Reagan. It's about an immortal woman who preys on uh, adoration, for lack of better words. She basically. Uh, seduces men and uses it to live forever uh it's actually really it's a really cool book um maria reagan is the wife of paul kane who does a lot of work with um uh writes a lot of the hellraiser stuff uh sherlock holmes and the cenobites and um 
she she's got a little touch of that um almost kind of demonic to it uh i'm also reading tyler jones's uh burn the plans he is one of my favorite people one of my favorite writers and this uh his his short story collection does not disappoint it's fantastic uh there's a story in there called trigger that i think a lot of people are really really gonna love um and i hope i hope to read more in that universe from him uh, Sadie, what are you reading um i'm finishing up my sister the serial killer Ooh. um this is like a really slim read and i've been kind of like going right through it um and i'm gonna start hide uh, by Kirsten White. And this is like a um cool. like people are playing a game. It's uh they're trapped in like a abandoned theme park, which is like, yes, please. And then I'm gonna read The House Next Door by Ann River Sidons. I haven't oh, read it's this wonderful. One. It's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. yeah. Everybody loves this book. So I yeah. need to get into it. It's it's Joe approved. She so. she wrote some uh she wrote some rather Southern novels too, that are quite good. I haven't read all of them, but they're kind of straight uh, novels. And, uh, but you're going to love that one. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm excited. Casey, what about you? I am actually, I've, I held it up for the visual aid. I'm reading the pledge uh, with the, from Kathleen Kent. So I'm listening to it on audiobook, And uh, I read the first two, the dime and the, the burn and I just finished S.A. Cosby's uh, Razorblade Tears. Ugh, did you die a little death? I did. And, and you, But you know what? It was interesting for me, and I mean this in all the positive ways, it felt so much like a combination of Cold in July and Happen Leonard. <laughs> done, <laughs> yes. But done in a new take that it was, it was so comfortable, like it was comfortable and warm and like I knew them, yeah. but I didn't know them. Yeah. And it was really, I really loved it. And he's such a good writer and such a nice person. So that it was a nice surprise because I feel like the last few books I've started in um, from other authors, I've, I, this is the, it was a nice, like, wow, this really hit me feeling. And I, it's been a few books since I've had a while, this hit me feeling. That's awesome. Joe. I, I yeah, I'm just going to say first, before I talk about that is like Kathleen Kent is a wonderful writer. And uh, I love her work. And uh, Cosby's a great writer, too. And he's been kind enough often to say that he was influenced by my work. But, he, you know, he does his own thing. Yeah. Uh, what I'm reading right now is Blood and Treasure. It's about Daniel Boone and about the settling of the frontier hmm. and about how it disrupted uh, the Native Americans. And it's just fantastic. And uh, it's a big book about like that, about halfway through it. I'm one of those guys that reads about three or four a week normally, but I've, I've lately, for some reason, I've been reading about one a week, but I'm also reading. I have a different room where I read different books. I, I'm reading the last kingdom by Bernard Cornwell, which I've just started and I'm liking it so far too. Excellent. Yeah. That sounds really cool. The, uh, the Western expansion. That's really neat. Yeah. It's a, it's a historical, it, this one. That's a fast. So, and the other one's history too. I love history, and a lot of the things that I I like to read and write are, are either novels of historical um, periods or they're uh, uh, nonfiction books about history. Uh, like Alma Katu. <laughs> she's pretty good at that. Uh, let's go to where can people follow you? Let's start with you, Sadie. And Nightworms, oh. mention mention Nightworms, please. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm pretty much everywhere. You can find me on Facebook the least amount. And I'm on Twitter pretty actively and also Instagram um, at Mother Horror for all of those or Sadie Hartman. I've been using Sadie Hartman a lot more than, I mean, people call me Mother Horror, but my name is Sadie Hartman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't make my kids call me Mother Horror. (laughs) I think you should. I know, right? (laughs) Casey, what about you? Everything's slash Casey Lansdale. And I'm not on Twitter much because I had a really nice verified um, padded account with all these people that I love to interact with. And then it got stolen by Japanese hackers and I've never gotten it back. So I I have an account and I I pop on from time to time, but only so that I can basically go on and like hate stock my original account (laughs) and and see if I can ever get it back. I think they actually took it down now. So it's gone forever. You should Um, enjoy the story about that. Oh my God. That's horrible. And uh, I'd say I'm more active on Instagram slash Casey Lansdale. I'm Facebook. And I guess that's Casey Lansdale fans. And then I'm on there, um, you know, from time to time. I've, I've taken a big step back from social media in the last two years just because um, social media in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and I'm just now they starting. They Casey stuff a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's like I between see, yeah. stalkers and stealers and all these things. <laughs> I'm like, can I just? So I'm, I'm starting to come back on and, and put and, a little bit more out there, but um, Casey Lansdale. Yeah. Long answer. You're welcome. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Where can people follow you, sir? Uh, I was just going to say, before I say that is that a lot of times I'll be looking through and I'll see a picture of Casey and it's somebody else's thing. They've stole her photograph. And That's put so it weird. I mean, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't have anything nice. You know, that, right. somebody's always got to mess it up. What's funny though. I just got a text from George Martin and he said that they're, just about finished with doing all the uh, special effects on, on that night of the cooters that I mentioned earlier. Nice. So uh, it looks like that. Yeah. Uh, Vincent and I both didn't think it would be done by then, but George was right. It is going to be done by then. Oh, wow. Uh, probably like because George is pressuring them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can find me on Twitter and uh, um, I have a fan page. There's a Facebook page listed, but I don't have anything to do with that. It's got me there, Joe Lansdale and all that, but I've never, I don't ever. Well, you know, there's, I don't, a lot, I don't there's more than we friends. have time for, because we got locked out of the fan page and then he had to create a thing because he what wasn't getting bothered in. So there's like a ghost <laughs> page and then there's a real, it's a lot of technologies. We're, no, we can't all be Sadie Hartman. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 I do have a fan page that I use a lot. And, uh, but I, I don't do any things where I, I friend people or, cause I don't look at other people's uh, Facebooks very often, very rarely. I, I check Casey's and Keith's. I was going to say, you creep while, on mine. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's about it. Those two are about the only ones I check. And, uh, I, and when you have a fan page, you don't, you don't friend people. They, right. they come to it. And then I have a www.joarlansdale, uh, you know, web page. So those are my three main ones. There's also this cool, Joe Lansdale collecting page, though, if you get interested in that, that uh, I go to and check just about every day so I can learn something about my work that I've forgotten. And that's really <laughs> happened. And they've had things on. I've never seen that before. Where did that come from? <laughs> and I had a, a Korean edition today. I, I didn't know there was a Korean edition. <laughs> my agent sent this picture today of the Korean edition and 
And, you know, they've got stuff that sells all over the world and you don't always get copies of them. Some of them I do. So it's kind of cool to at least get to see the covers, even if I don't get the books for whatever reason. That's really I get paid. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to mention Nightworms, too. Go for it. Well, yeah, I mean, I so I co-own Nightworms uh, with my business partner, Ashley, um, and we are a monthly horror book subscription company. Um, yeah, so check out Nightworms. Sadie, how... Everybody raves about Nightworms. How can... <laughs> I'm going to ask it on here. I have tried to buy the boxes. It's always sold out. <laughs> yeah, it is like... So people have asked us why we haven't really like scaled our business beyond, you know, just selling out the minute we list packages. But to be totally honest with you, like Ashley and I don't want to work that hard. Um, We also don't want to like have to get a distributor to do our work for us, which would be the next step. Like we're literally almost squeezed out of the space that we're in right now. And We want quality control, so we still hand package everything ourselves, and we look at everything before it goes into the packages um, with our small little team of people, Um, and we just don't, we don't want to get any bigger than that. Like, we're fine. We're, We're doing fine. We're enjoying ourselves. It's manageable. Like, to scale even a little bit more would be too much, so um, when we list, we we're at like, here's our cap and then here's our number of subscribers. So when we list, there's a little room for people to squeeze in and then they're gone. <laughs> the videos you guys post, that's really cool. Um, I did want to talk about that super quick. It's, it's really interesting to see that because you guys, you put love hard work in there and something on social media that kind of people seem to be and myself included seem to be worried about is like, I don't want to come off like I'm being braggadocious or whatever, but um, it's nice to see that like you guys put in hard work and to actually see the pallets off the trucks, to see how much work it, it gives you even more respect for how much hard work you guys put into that. And um, yeah, so check that out. Was that nightworms.com? Yeah. Nightworms.com. Thanks Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody next episode, 138 will be LM Labat. Did I get that right, Brennan? <laughs> I don't know. Thank you guys for joining us. Seriously, this was a really special episode. Of course. Thanks for having us. It was nice seeing everyone. Yeah, yeah, you too. Appreciate it to be here.